who is getting out of the blocks and is running hard. He's not looking behind, but he's, he sees the finish line and he's not distracted by anything and he's running hard after Jesus. And he says, this is, this is what the Christian life should look like is that together we're running hard having seen, I want more of him. And this is the one who knew Jesus well, who had seen Jesus do tremendous things. He's like, but I want, I want more of him. And so I'm striving after it. I'm straining for it. And now what he's going to do is he's going to tell the church, but there's, there's some warnings here as well. There's some ways that this can get um, off track. And so let's pick up in verse 17. I think this morning you will see that the letter to the church in Philippi is still extraordinarily relevant to us today. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for my joy and my crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Right. We just continue to see Paul's affection for this group that he, he, he loves them. He's like, I, you're my joy and my crown, my beloved. I want you to hear this and to walk in it. And so his initial comment in verse 17 is he says, like, church, brothers and sisters, I want you to imitate me. I want you to follow me. It's important for us to note that as he's calling them to follow and to imitate his behavior, then earlier in this chapter, he had said, not that I'm perfect. Not that I've already obtained it, not that I've already arrived, but I'm continuing to strive forward, right? That we live in an already and not yet, that we already have Jesus, which means that we are holy and perfect before God because Jesus is holy and perfect, and yet we are still being sanctified, right? That that we are redeemed before God and we are being redeemed, that we are rescued and we are being rescued. And so he says, listen, do I have salvation? Yes, but I'm still striving for it. I'm still walking in this. I have not yet been perfected. So he's not telling them out of some arrogant pride, you could do a lot worse than to imitate me, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I am following Jesus. I'm seeking to imitate his life. And as I'm doing that, I want you to do that as well. We know he's not prideful because he doesn't say just to look at him. Listen, he says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's already widened it and saying, listen, there are others who are walking in a manner worthy of imitation. I want you to do this. Church, I think it's important for us to note first and foremost this morning that he says imitate and walk. He does not say simply no. And claim that we have got this really bad habit, especially in the Bible belt of believing that if I can claim the right things about God, if I can say the right things, if I even know the right things about God, that that is sufficient. And that means I am saved and rescued. And what Paul has continued to tell the church in Philippi is, listen, it is your action 
It is your fruit. It's the evidence that Jesus has rescued you that shows you that you're walking in that salvation. Listen, it doesn't save you. Your ability to walk in obedience in a way that would imitate Jesus and Paul doesn't make him rescue you. But it's evidence that you have been rescued, that God is at work within you. And so we, we need to see that there is action involved in this this morning. That he wants us to move, to walk, to follow, to imitate Jesus. Not just know the right things for a test. Not just to agree when someone says a true thing. And we say, yeah, yeah, I think that too. It's not sufficient. And then he gives a, a, a contrast. Look at verses 18 and 19. For many of whom I have often told you, this is not the first time he's having this conversation, and I now tell you with tears. Right? He says, Listen, I'm, I'm emotional about this. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he begins to describe them in verse 19, and we're going to look at that in more detail here in a moment. But I think it's important for those of us who, who would walk as imitators of Jesus this morning, that he, we see that Paul does two things here. He is warning them that there is a path that will lead to destruction. And he's weeping as he does it. Right? He's going to lay out what the life of those who are not headed towards salvation, who are not headed to the finish line, who are not headed to forever with Jesus are going to look like. He's saying, listen, we're not all headed to the same place. There are, there are two paths, one that is leading to destruction and one that is leading to eternity with Jesus. It's, it's obtaining the resurrection of the dead and it's having Jesus for all time. It's like there's two paths and I'm going to lay out what the walk the, the life, the imitation, the action looks like for both of those so that you can look and see which one are you on? Where does that path end? Because he says, listen, if your life looks like the one who's headed to destruction, just because you know some better answers doesn't mean you're on that path. You're headed towards destruction. And he says it not with hate, not right, not with arrogance, not with pride. Listen, the church has done this um, sometimes more frequently than we should have, right? To have beat our own chest and said, look at us and how well we're doing and how poorly you're doing. We say this with humility, with tears in our eyes, right? We have been rescued. And we long to see more rescued. To leave a path of destruction and enter a path that is headed to Jesus. So he begins to describe them then. Their end is destruction. And he lays out three things now. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. And their minds are set on earthly things. Church, would we see, as he uses hard language here, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. That if you stand as a believer this morning... You were once an enemy of the cross. That we all begin an enemy of the cross, warring against God. It is painful language. It is hard language. It is not fun language. And see, what, what the world will often want to say is this. No, 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 we're all children of God. We're all God's children. Listen, there's two layers to that. One, yes, we are all God's children in that we were created by God, so we have inherent worth and value. Whether you love Jesus this morning or not, you have inherent worth and value because you were created by the Almighty. You are a child of God in that regard. 
But scripture will also say because of sin and rebellion, we are also all enemies now of God. We are warring and rebelling against him, which means we are created in his image. We have distorted that image. And so now there needs to be a correction. And to be brought into the family now is to be adopted as a son or a daughter of the king. To be a child of God can mean I was created in the image of God, but it can also mean I belong to him. And just because you were created by him doesn't mean you intuitively, instinctively just begin to belong to him. We have to understand we are all either are or once were the enemies of the cross. That we were opposed and we did our own thing for our own sake and for our own glory. So he continues. He doesn't lay out who they are. He doesn't say specifically who these people are. Um, in, In Ephesians 2, it simply says... Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, listen, there are those who follow the the prince of the power of the air, like they follow the course of this world until God rescues them. In Matthew 13, we see the the parable as Jesus talks of the four soils, right? And as as he's laying out the four soils, he's talking about the gospel being preached and the response that comes. And so he says, listen, some or immediately, this is Matthew 13. He says, a sower went out to sow seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path. Birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. So he says like one was immediately eaten. One comes up quick but has no root. One falls among the thorns and gets choked out. And only one produces like grain, a harvest. And so the disciples are asking him and he says this. He gives them an explanation. He says, listen, the first, right, is that Satan basically comes and snatches it away. They just don't hear and they don't understand. Verse 20. For that which was sown on the rocky ground is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, and yet has no root in himself, endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. It's why scripture says we have to persevere, and that perseverance is the sign of someone who knows and loves Jesus, is that when persecution, suffering, difficulty comes, that we stay in by the grace of God, by the power of his spirit. The third is this. He said, the seed that was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. So listen, Paul in Philippians 3 does not say, hey, here's who these enemies of the cross are. What he's telling us is this, that the enemies of the cross could be those who once set among us who would have claimed joy and salvation, and yet the things of the world have led them to to not care about the things of God any longer. Would we not think and assume that it's all those who are out there who are the enemies of the cross? The enemies of the cross can be sitting here as well, currently believing the word of God is sufficient, and yet when difficulty comes, they'll walk away. Yet when the cares of the world come, it will choke out The truth of the gospel. And so he says the first thing to identify who these folks are is their God is their belly. 
It's a, it's a, a strange phrase. But what it means is this, is whatever their desire is for, whatever their appetite is for, they give in to it. Like that God is not their authority, they are their authority. They don't want a standard other than their own. And so if they want more sex, they have more sex. If they want different, they, they get that. If they want more food, they do that. If they want more power, if they want more approval, if they want more acclaim, whatever it is that they devise within themselves that they would want that would make them happy and satisfy them, they give themselves fully to it. Their God is their belly. And so whatever they desire, whatever they long for, whatever they want, that controls them and leads them into those actions. Listen, he does not list specific sin here. Why? Because it would be too easy for us to hear him say, their God is their belly, and what I mean by that is this, and go, oh, phew, that's not me. Instead, he lays out a heart condition, an issue that says their appetite is for what they want. And that might be morally acceptable. It might be legal. It's not necessarily that all of this is heinous. What he's saying is what they want, they get. And what they want, they put forth their energy and their effort and their time to gain it. They don't want to hear of God's standard. Church, here's, here's what you're going to hear a lot. It's my truth. It's my truth. It's my story, so I'll do what I want. They're looking to themselves to be the ultimate truth and authority in their life. And so they can flip from one side to another. They can switch because it's my truth, my story, my way, and I'll do it my way. And who are you to tell me other, otherwise? They don't want to hear from God. They want to be the God of their life. Their God is their belly. They reject any authority. And they're controlled by it. The second thing is this. He says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. We call evil good. We call good evil, right? Listen to Isaiah 5. This is verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Then in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God describes his people. He says this, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed, they've made cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So what Isaiah and Jeremiah are telling us is this, is that we we turn things on their head. And things that we would have once been ashamed of, that would have been known and generally just looked at and said, that is shameful behavior. That is wrong. Begins to be practiced. And then it begins to become public. And then it begins to become celebrated. And that things get turned on their head. And so the picture in Jeremiah, right, is, listen, you have forsaken me. And not only have you forsaken me, you've gone and created something. And you're thirsty. And you're holding up this broken cistern that cannot hold water. And you're drinking filth and dirt. And so your, your thirst actually increases. So you look for another broken cistern. And it won't satisfy. And it won't satisfy. Well, here I am, the one you have forsaken, that can satisfy every thirst and every desire, and every longing, and you have walked away from it. 
So church, we, we, see, we can literally see this in the headlines in our world today that, that, that what is, was once seen as evil and as wicked is being called good. And that which was good is being called evil and wicked. Then it's not just practiced, but then it's celebrated. And it's not just celebrated, but then you are being asked to approve of it, to accept it, to celebrate it yourself. That you feel a societal pressure to voice agreement and approval. Listen, what happens is this, is that your belly, right? If their God is their belly, it, it says, I'll give me what I want. And then what I want is not just to have it, but I want you to say it's okay. I want you to say it's good and right and celebrated. Right? We, we, we are living this out in our culture today. That I want my belly to be satisfied and I want you to justify that I've done the right thing. In Romans 1, it tells us simply that eventually God may give us over to it. Right? If that's what you want, have it. Right? And, and so right now we see the right to, to say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. I want to I say right and true things from Scripture. Then you can be called a bigot and intolerant. And you may, not, you may be the one who is weeping with Paul over the brokenness of the world, and yet you are being painted as a hypocrite, horrible person. How could you even begin to think and believe that when generations before it would have been celebrated as truth, now it is seen as evil and wicked? So right, Paul is telling us, listen, these people, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame. And the third thing is this, their mindset is on earthly things. So he's saying, listen, what has he already called the church in Philippi to do? He says, I want you to have your mind set on the things above. I want you to run a race that sees Jesus as the finish line, that sees having your resurrected body as the goal, that you're moving towards knowing Jesus, having more of Jesus, and you're striving for that regardless of what circumstances come your way. In Colossians 3, he defines what earthly things can be. This is verse 5. So he tells the church, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And then he reminds the church, In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And he continues, With anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Right? He's saying, I want you to put on the new self. The new self is salvation. The new self is the rescue that Jesus has provided. And so what he is reminding the church here is that putting on a mindset of Christ is a, is a mindset of humility. And instead, these folks who are headed to destruction, their mind is on this life, this world. They don't want to think about eternal things. They don't want to think about spiritual things. They want to think about this life. And yet he's told us, church, put on the mindset Jesus had. A mindset of humility. That didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but stepped into human form, right? And was obedient to the, to the, to the ends of death, even death on a cross. Then Jesus laid aside all that he had for our sake and for the glory of God. So then he wants us to look at this one who has rescued us. 
instead of focused simply on this life. Now listen, having our mindset on earthly things could be sin, but it could just be that we are indifferent to spiritual things. We, we just It's just innocuous, kind of innocent, mundane things that keep us distracted from running hard and striving after the finish line. So he says, church, I want you to imitate me, verse 17. But there are going to be those all around you in Philippi, sometimes in the church, all around you who are going to be running a different race. And you're going to want to be, you're going to be tempted to want to step into their lane. And here's how you're going to recognize them. Their God is their belly. It's not God, the authority of God. They're going to glory in things that are shameful. Their mindset is not going to be on the things of Jesus, but they're going to be on the things of this world. And I want you to know, if you're doing that, the finish line, their end, is destruction. It's not a pretty picture. And then he continues, right? But, right? But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he immediately comes back in contrast and goes, but for those of us in Christ, those of us who have attained salvation, who have been given this free gift, this mercy, he's like, destruction is not your future. It is not your finish line. That's not where you're headed. You have a rescuer, a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's coming for us. Listen. We have to remember that we were once the enemies of God. That our path was leading to destruction. And if that is no longer your station, if that's no longer your story, it is a miracle of grace that a holy and righteous God would pluck you, a sinner, and cover you with the blood of Jesus, making you innocent, making you holy. So Paul says, listen, if we get this, then we want to strive to stay on that path, pursuing more of Jesus, gaining him, knowing him, because he has rescued us by his mercy and his grace, by his love, not by anything that we brought to the table. And so we glory in the fact that we are a rescued people and that this message is offered to all. That no one is like left out of this. It is offered. And so if you this morning are on a path of destruction... Like the path of life is offered in Christ and you bring nothing to the table. It's simply a rescue. And as you think of those who, you know, right now who are on a path of destruction, then like Paul, we weep asking God to work and to move. That he doesn't just rescue us. The verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. For a moment, some of the disciples got to see the glory of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Where, where the veil was pulled back for just a moment. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're, you're more than mortal flesh. You are God incarnate. He says when he comes, our lowly bodies are going to be perfected. Right? That we have been saved justification. We are being sanctified, right? We are being made like Jesus. And when he comes, we will be glorified. We will be given our bodies in perfect form by his power, by his might. 
And so the call then, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love, I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. So he says, I want you to stand firm together as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And this is where we're going to end is in, in this thought this morning. If you feel some tension as to the fact that you don't belong in this world, like that you, you love it and you want to, and at the same time you feel this pull, that, that is right and holy and good. Because in Christ, this is not our home. We are exiles, we are aliens, we are travelers headed to our homeland where we belong, there's been marked for us, there's been prepared for us, and our king is there waiting on us. And he has intentionally, in the moment, in this day, in this year, in this community, left you here to make much of him, to weep on behalf of those who are on the path of destruction, to call and to point and to worship and to strive. So both things are true. This isn't our home. We're meant for something different, and you're here intentionally. And so there should be this, this like odd tension. So what do we do with this? There's a lot we could look at. We're going to look at just a few real quick. One is that we, we weep and we warn, as Paul did, and we do it without hate. We do not gloat. We do not, in arrogance, um, loom large and have pride over others and how dumb you are and just wait till Jesus comes back and you'll burn like this horrific conversation. He said we weep and we warn and say, yes, that path does lead to destruction, but there's another path. And I was on the path of destruction and now I'm on the path of life by the grace of God, not because of who I am or my family or my class or my money or my knowledge or my nationality, or my skin color, not for any reason other than the grace of God. He's rescued me. So we weep and we warn without hate. The second is this, is that we believe in the power of the gospel to save. That the arm of the Lord isn't too short to save. That God will rescue, and he will bring those who are the enemies of him into the family of God, making them sons and daughters. And not only is is it the power of the gospel to save, it will also transform. God is alive this morning and he is at work in you. And as long as you are growing and living and pursuing, right, he is at work in you. And so any new health, any new Christ-likeness is because the God of the universe is working specifically in your life, knowing you by name and loving you. It's not a generic someone else. It's not a generic. It's you. He loves you. And he is at work in you. So he is saving by the power of the good news. And he is also transforming. He is at work in us. Listen, Paul says the salvation comes and then we strive. With effort, we walk, we imitate. Listen, the culture of this world is like getting in a tube in, the, in, in a river rafted a river raft rapid i'm going to get the word out and it's going to take you where it wants to go right when you're floating a river you're not putting forth any energy or effort like that's that's like the exact goal is to go and relax right it's to let the river do the work and you're along for the ride our culture 
is pushing everyone on a raft towards destruction. Not just American culture, like the culture of the world. Like that is where it's headed. Unless you've been put on a path to Jesus. And what that looks like is turning in the river and walking against the stream. The slick rocks, the difficulty. Like you have to make a conscious decision as you're slipping and falling to work with effort to strive upstream when everyone else going downstream is like, hey, moron, get in the tube, grab a beer, and enjoy the ride. You're an idiot. And we're like, no, no, no. Do you know what's up there? Do you know what I have been put on? Right? And so we look foolish. And we look stupid. And we're working hard. And people will laugh and mock and humiliate and ridicule. But we know what's at the end. And so we strive for it. And we put forth intention and effort. All the while knowing if I just sit in the tube that's right here. It'll take me. And it'll be easy. And I will be destroyed. So church, we weep and we warn. We believe in the power of the gospel and that we have the power of the Spirit in us to allow us to work our way up the river. To sustain us and to give us the grace and the mercy we need. And then church, here's the last point. Church, we're free. As citizens of another kingdom, we are free to look at this world differently. We are free to be a fool. To be viewed as a fool. To not need um, critical acclaim and fame. Right? We can, we can lack the approval of the world because we've been given the approval of the God of the universe. We have His. And the world can mock you. And there, we shouldn't be surprised by it because it's going to call evil good and, and good evil. Listen, Jesus was called a fool. They thought He lost on the cross. We're in good company. It means that we don't have to put our hope in the things of this world. Like elections. Like movements. Listen, there are good things involved in that. But our hope isn't if our candidate wins or not. Our hope isn't if our movement goes viral or not. Our hope is in Jesus. Because we can make America great again and go to hell. Right? We can say... Black lives matter, and we can go to hell. Right? Like, these things matter. We are supposed to do, be, bring salt and light and to do good in this life, to reflect the image of Jesus. But if he's not the treasure at the end, then we are missing the point. And listen, all of the good in America, right, is merely a reflection of a heavenly kingdom that is far superior And so where we see good in it, then we say, oh yeah, but there's even better. And where we see brokenness and difficulty and hardship, then we look to correct that. But our hope doesn't have to be in this nation. It's in Jesus. Because we're citizens of another kingdom, and that doesn't make you a country hater. It doesn't make you a people hater. It makes you secure in your citizenship. And so your circumstances can be difficult or easy. They can be hard. They can be cruel. But where we're headed is more of Jesus. 
And our hope is in him. Listen, Paul is writing from prison lest we forget. But Paul says, listen, if I, if I live, that's Christ. If I die, I get Jesus. I'm writing from prison. And when he was in prison, he was pastoring and shepherding. And when he wasn't in prison, he was pastoring and shepherding and making much of Jesus. He was doing the same regardless of his circumstances. Which means if we are a free people, which I hope we are, we make much of Jesus. And if we are not a free people, like many of our brothers and sisters around the world aren't, we make much of Jesus. And he sustains us and is gracious and is merciful to us. God is the same despite our circumstances. And he will be faithful to meet us in them. And so our hope and our security, church, this morning is in the treasure that is Jesus Christ. He is sufficient. He is enough. And so it means in your business, you can make less in order to take care of more. It means you cannot accumulate all the toys of this world because you're going to put time and energy and effort and money into people. It means you can be taken advantage of by people who are on a path of destruction that you continue to weep for and long that they would enter a path that leads to Christ. That we can be made a fool. That we don't have to accumulate. That we can lay down our freedoms for the sake of others because this isn't our home and this isn't our kingdom. Jesus is. And a heavenly kingdom awaits. So this morning, as we end and respond, listen, if you have recognized you're on a path of destruction, you can trust Jesus, respond to him, right? That it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. No one is not able to get in on this good news. For some of us, maybe we need to repent of a slight of hand that we have used the religious activity and behavior and words and knowledge so that people won't notice that our God is our belly. Right? Because we do some religious things and say, look at that, look at that, notice that, see that, don't pay attention over here. And maybe we need to repent that we have been on a path of destruction and have been hypocrites pretending that we were on a path of pursuing Jesus because we claimed some things and we knew some things we were not imitating and walking after Jesus. Church, the cross that he called many the enemies of is not just the means of our salvation. It is a way of life, which means humility, self-denial, and an authority above us in Christ. He has rescued us and he has called us to follow. Would we be a people who do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your offensive grace. God, the gift of mercy and of salvation that we cannot begin to pay back, that we don't even begin to deserve, and yet you love us. So, Father, would you rip things from our hearts and from our hands and from our minds that we have put our hope in other than you? God, would you allow us to see where even as we are on a path of life that we may have areas where our belly is still our God. God, would we put those things to death? Not in our strength and our might. It's not a do better, try harder. It is by your grace. So, Father, when your spirit brings sin to our mind, would we realize that you have also 
empowered us, that you have defeated the power of sin. You have paid for the penalty of sin, and someday you will free us from the, the presence of sin. God, would we trust you and walk in you and imitate you, even as those around us mock, even as those around us say the ride's a lot easier. God, would we weep and would you call them to get out and to walk with us? By the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.